Hello, hello, and welcome to another Music Ally Focus with me, Music Ally's editor, Joe Sparrow. And in this episode, we're joined by a Greener Future CEO and co-founder, Claire O'Neill. A Greener Future created the world's first event sustainability standards, and now they offer consultancy training, certification, and membership to the events industry. We're going to talk to Claire about how live events and festivals can become greener and more sustainable, and how there's a lot more to it than simply cutting down on carbon emissions. Now, each Music Ally Focus episode analyzes one meaningful music business story at a time, just like this one. And so this podcast is also going to be quick. It should take about the same amount of time as our old, large-stomached friend, Patrick Bertoletti, who could hypothetically eat a frankly comical 18 kilos of poutine in the same time as it would take to listen to this podcast. In 2010, Patrick became world poutine-eating champion after scarfing down... 5.9 kilos of gravy and cheese-soaked fries in a mere 10 minutes. Now, talking of reducing your consumption to more reasonable levels, the events industry is part of the music industry that can make some sweeping changes to run it in a more sustainable manner. Events and festivals require moving huge numbers of people and large amounts of equipment, and they consume a lot of resources, often in the form of non-renewable fuels, to make them happen. But punters, artists, and industry workers alike increasingly want to be taking part in events that are not damaging the planet. And yet, events are complicated and have many stakeholders. So how do you do it? Well, Claire O'Neill and Agrina Future say that they help you to find the path through to, well, Agrina Future. Let's speak to Claire now. So I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast uh, Agrina Future CEO and co-founder Claire O'Neill. Hi, Claire. Hi, great to be here. A, a, a pleasure. Now, let's just kick off with some basics. Can you tell us what you do at uh, A Greener Future and why you are doing what you are doing? Sure. So we actually started, um, the concept started back in 2005 when I was doing my studies at music industry management and uh, and thought, oh, there seems to be a lot of um, problems going on with pollution and uh, our carbon footprints and yet I'm learning how to manage a record label or an artist's career. And that's not going to be able to happen if we haven't got a livable environment with breathable air, um, et cetera. So I thought, how can I try to marry these two worlds together? Uh, so that was the, the kind of uh, inception of it, I suppose. And uh, over the years, we started to work together to develop um, a series of questions, I guess, that could go out to festivals around the world. Um, we put my research into a website, agreenafestival.com, and there was such a huge amount of interest from um, either festivals who were working on making their events more sustainable or they wanted to learn how to do more. So we started this little questionnaire, which was the Greener Festival Award in its original incarnation in 2007, that said, do you use renewable energy? Are you recycling? Um, how are you processing your waste water? How are you communicating to people about being more sustainable? And that essentially has mushroomed over the last 17 years into a certification process. Um, We've got a training program internationally with Falmouth University. We accredit universities on their sustainable event management courses. Um, We do consultancy. And we also now work not only with festivals, but with all different types of events, from sports events, football clubs, Chelsea Flower Show. Now we work with touring artists and we work with um, arenas, venues, 
and all parts of the ecosystem for live, essentially. Right. So you're looking beyond festivals now to to all those other areas as well. Um, Just one more clarification then, and this is around the word sustainability. It's one of those words which means a lot of different things, and they're all sort of related, like everything to do with the climate. It's all kind of related, but also, uh, just for clarity for our listeners, when you talk about sustainability in that context in relation to the events industry what what do you mean all different elements of it essentially so what we look at um, a, a good good way to look at it is through the framework that we use for our assessments and then also for when we look at people's sustainability when we're helping them to get started and it starts with the local ecosystems so what is the impact on the actual environment that you're within right now For example, would pollution go into the waterways where you are or could litter um, be going out into the environment, noise pollution? And then we also look at local communities. What is the impact on local communities? How can you also benefit local communities for the positive um, as well as negative potential impacts? Um, And then it goes into what is often used as sustainability when talking about green, which is the environmental sustainability. So that's where we look at things like waste, power, transport, water, and so on. And then there's a whole other section where we start to look at EDI impacts, behavior change, communication, um, and how all of these things are managed and integrated as a part of the culture um, of whatever organization we're looking at. Um, And then there's a very small section that's on CO2 because that's the calculations part. All of the other elements was linked to that. Um, and then we'd also ask about um, the financial side as well. So what are your investments supporting, for example? Um, we also try to look at are there ways that uh, you can look at your budgets and go, okay, how much of this budget is being spent on fossil fuels? How much of it is being spent on creativity and people? Um, so essentially it's the what was the traditional three pillars of sustainability, social, economic and environmental. And the much more tangible and easy to grasp elements is always the environmental, which is why that gets a lot of um, airtime, I suppose. Right. Well, we'll dig into that sort of, we'll dig into that complexity, that sort of the the three pillars and addressing all those different areas in a bit. Uh, Because I think, you know, it, 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 it covers a lot. And I think one thing that people often think is, okay, but where do I start? You know, and so we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But, but what is AGF's, main message to people and businesses that work in the events industry and obviously particularly in the music events industry whether that's a touring artist or a festival well our current our current main message is that we need to be taking ourselves away from a dependence of fossil fuels because at the moment our um i suppose our success stories in the music industry are turning let's take an artist career for as an example as an artist becomes more successful, we find ways to burn more fossil fuels to celebrate the success of that artist. Um, but be that with more trucking, with more transport, with more movements of people, with bigger productions. Um, so it's how can we actually take something that's a very positive thing that our industry are supporting, whether that's the growth of an event, the growth of an artist's career, the growth of a brand, and turn that into something that has a positive almost regenerative impact rather than an extractive and depletive impact. Um, And the reason that there's a real focus on fossil fuels at the moment is because that's kind of at the foundation of 
of many things. You know, when we're looking at climate change or when we're looking at climate justice, when we're looking at biodiversity impacts and losses, if we're to continue extracting and burning fossil fuels, then we are like none of the other initiatives are going to be able to succeed because of the environment that we're existing within. And um, so that's, that's a very fundamental, simple uh, way of kind of reducing it down, whilst it's not an easy task, of course. And so uh, you mentioned certification and, and helping people make that change. So what, what as an organisation then, what tools and resources do you, and assistance do you offer in a sort of perhaps a you know, in a tangible way, what, what, what do you do? So if an organisation wanted to be certified or apply for certification, then they would first apply um, to AGF to receive a self-assessment. And the self-assessment is a very detailed, um, I think there's maybe 11 sections within that that look at those areas that I mentioned before from local ecosystems, community, um, waste, power, transport, water, etc., um, and it's very guided because each of the questions is is essentially leading in a way. You know, it says, do you do this? Do you implement this? And then you can give answers based upon what you're implementing on site, or it might be that you're not yet there. Um, and then there's guidance that comes with that about how to look at answering questions or how to speak to the um, auditors about how to implement those. Um, then an auditor will come onto site to look at what's actually being implemented on the ground because what we've found over the years is that some some events will talk about things they've done and of course things don't always go to plan so something might be planned for and then mm. happen during the event um but equally some um festivals have done incredible and very unique um, and pioneering work but don't even realise that that is pioneering or unique and don't include it in their right. audits. <laughs> so we've right. found a lot of real positives for doing those site visits as well. Um, and another great um, result that we've found from doing this over all these years, which is the reason that we've carried on, is that it really spurs, um, I suppose, the, the purpose and the inspiration behind getting the job done of improving things for sustainability. Because yeah. if you've got an external organization coming in to look at what's happening then as an organizer for instance you can go to your power contractor or market manager uh, site manager toilet company etc and say we're being audited or this is happening like what what are you doing can you give us this information how can we improve yeah. this are these things being put in place and um, so that's is a real good tool for the event organizers in that respect Following the event, we also require evidence. So, for example, if somebody has submitted their recycling figures or what's happened with their waste, we'd require from them their waste transfer notes to prove this is where it's right. gone, this is how much was dealt with, or um, fuel bills, energy bills, things like that. Right. Um, and then this all goes into the assessor's report and a feedback report is given that says you've achieved X, Y, Z, in your various different, um, what would you call them, sections of the assessment. So you might have scored yeah. excellent in waste, but improvers in water, for example. And then we'd be able to give feedback in each of those categories to help the festival to improve. Yeah. Now, th why do people specifically want to do, for instance, the certification? What is it What's their motivation for doing it? And what does it then allow them to do once they've been certified? Mm -hmm. It's quite varied, actually. And bearing in mind, because we've been doing it for over 15 years, 
the needs and wants have changed over time as well. So for mm. some organizations, they really want to beat their competitor and they want to be like, we're better right. than you. Yeah. So that's one. You can better. weaponize that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, in other circumstances, um, it can be used as a tool for instance, if you're doing a tender process or if you have mm. um, other kind of requirements to evidence your sustainability. Um, that's become more frequent in recent years because when we began, we were really just raising awareness and trying to give a reason mm. for anyone to do it. And so then the Greener Festival Award that we started was with was a reason for people to do right. anything because <laughs> they weren't necessarily thinking about it. Whereas now it's a requirement and it's going to become more and more of a requirement to evidence your sustainability. And, and so that is that for, for example, for events or people looking for funding, for, for instance, it could be a, fun, yeah. a requirement for funding and or, yeah, or permission or something like exactly. that. Exactly. I remember um, there was one year, this is quite a while ago now, we suddenly got lots of applications from Spain and we were thinking, what's going on in Spain? And so we found out yeah. that there was a, like a, a fund that was happening for the creative industries where you needed to evidence your sustainability in order to, right. to access that. Um, but the way that the... Um, I mean, the, the certification that we do, the way that that's structured, it isn't just a stamp because the, the process of it, and this is the reason that we even work, like that we even do it, is because it offers um, how to make improvements as well. So, And the process of going mm. through the certification process is a tool to learn how to do better and a tool to instigate yeah. action. And that's the main purpose from our side. However, we've... Um, in recent years, we started to do the sustainability diagnosis, which is a separate thing from a certification. And that's where if you're not looking for an actual um, badge, shall we say, you can still go mm. through that process of, okay, looking under the bonnet, what's our current carbon impact? Um, we, do, we do carbon assessments as well and net zero strategies. Where, where are we currently sitting at? What are the things that we need to improve upon? Um, and how can we implement that? And when we work with people in that case, there's um, separate teams. We've got an audit uh, independent auditors who are outside of the organisation, and then we've got a consultancy team who can actually help people to to do the work as well and to implement it yeah. on the ground. Right. The hands-on help has become um, very popular in recent years as well because people really want to know how to be able to to implement these things rather than um, only being audited externally. Yeah. So. What you is when we I've talked about this with people for a few years, and every year that passes, it gets a bit easier to sort of for people to be able to picture what they can do to, to do this because there are more examples and case studies. Of course, the, the, the very obvious one recently is Coldplay's World Tour, which um, is sort of an experiment in doing their tour in a in a, a more environmentally uh, sustainable way and there's lots of compromises in there but it's a it's it's it's, be it's becoming this sort of uh, very visible example and um, that's a big one obviously but what what other good examples are there of music events or approaches to, to touring for instance um that people can who are listening can sort of uh take inspiration from or, or rip off so um, one of the things that we did in 2019 was um looked deeply into the sustainability of the tour of Bring Me the Horizon. And it was the first arena tour back after um, after the pandemic. Uh, I think it was only seven dates, but um, uh, but like I say, first of all, back after the pandemic, so there was quite a lot of, you know, going from a standing start 
And um, and the real unique thing there in the beginning was that it was a multi-stakeholder approach. So it wasn't led directly by the band, but it was the, um, so the tour manager, Jamal Chalabi, who works for the Southern Greener Tour now, um, he approached all of the different um, organizations involved. So it was Kilimanjaro as the promoter, it was UTA as the agent, um, there is more management, the management company, and then also um, the O2 contributed as well, which was the largest arena at, at the end of the day. And they collectively said, okay, we want to look as much into what we can do to improve sustainability on this tour. So that multi-stakeholder approach was a first that I'd seen in the music industry, rather than kind of it being pointed like, no, it's it's their responsibility. No, it's their responsibility. I'm not going to do something until they have. It was a joint effort. Um, so we looked in the advancing at how we could make sure that truck space was minimized and that all of the lighting fixtures and uh, equipment that was being used was as low energy as possible and had meetings with all of the different uh, vendors in advance to say, okay, well, we're not just dictating to you what you need to do. We want to know from your expertise what can be done from the production side as well to make these improvements. Um, we ended up putting into all of the trucks on the tour HVO, hydro-treated vegetable oil, which is the uh, renewable... As, as fuel in, in, it, the, in the trucks. It's Yeah, it's a fuel. It's a type of fuel in the trucks, which is from renewable sources. Um, and it's not a silver bullet at all. Um, the way they describe it is um, it's kind of a... It's a good interim solution while we're still dependent on combustion engines but it doesn't um, take away from the need to reduce the amount of trucking or to move towards electrification and other methods as well. But it is a good but way... But for clarity, that's a sort of a, a refined, re- recycled cooking oil, is that...? Um, not necessarily that cooking or? oil. It comes from... Um, it can come from many different sources, such as the paper industry, um, like byproducts oh. from there, also from rapeseed oil. Um, there's some comes um, from animal byproducts as well. Um, so it's right. quite a diverse mix um, of inputs into that fuel. Um, but the main point of it is that it's not from fossil fuels, yeah. um, but it still um, causes particulate matter. It's still going to cause the same kind of um, tailpipe emissions. It's mm. not coming mm. from fossil fuels. It's yeah. a different source. Um, so that reduces the CO2 on the tour, but it's not, like I said, a silver bullet. It's an interim benefit. Um we then also had it go 100% vegan um, on the crew catering, uh, which eventually we had to allow some emergency chicken <laughs> when it got stressful. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, but this made a big dent as well into the um, into the emissions of the tour. And we also had, um, you know, we took, uh, we made sure there were water coolers on each of the shows that we came on to, which it was like something like 12,500 plastic bottles we avoided just from the crew by having refillables on the uh, the tour buses, etc. But this is just an example of kind of a, a first back from the pandemic, seeing this collaborative approach, but also seeing very clearly that when things get stressful, that's when it's very difficult to implement any kind of change. And that's when... um, That's That's when when the fried chicken comes in. Exactly. And that's when there's resistance. And and, and that's something that I think, I mean, we'll come to that. But I think that uh, there's deeper changes in the way that things are structured, whether that's in touring or festivals, etc. But But that does sort of... 
tie into the, what you said something earlier, which is, uh, it's like you were saying, talking about the, the, the hydrogenated oil in, in the drugs. It's, it's, it's a transition, isn't it? Like yeah. You can't, it's, it's quite difficult to say, we're going to, this is, we're making this huge step change and now you're all going to fall into line because, you know, if you're a hungry roadie and you need fried chicken at three in the morning, <laughs> I think like, they're probably going to find it somehow, right? So like, it's, a, but, but, but it's about the, the intention and making substantial changes and transitioning over a period of time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes, um, sometimes you can be quite radical and make things happen fast, you know. And I think that that's um, also where uh, legislation is going to play its part. You need, mm. for instance, when uh, the smoking ban came in, or plastic bags suddenly had a charge on them, yeah. or when we were told we had to wear a seatbelt. Now, <laughs> you know, yeah. things can really yeah. shift behaviours, um, so seemingly overnight. <laughs> Uh, but, but there is also the transition transitioned approach that is really needed, and um, and that's something we need to remember sometimes on me especially because I've been working on it for twenty years. So sometimes I'm like, mm. come on, and then I have to remember, oh, everybody hasn't been like yeah. that is for twenty years. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, okay. Um, that transformational then transformational element, you know, it's. We're talking about a very well-established, multifaceted industry, you said, with lots of stakeholders. You've demonstrated, you've come up with a demonstration of how it can work. Though I'm sure that some people might be listening and thinking, well, yeah, that sounds like a lot of hard work. Isn't it probably more expensive? And, you know, like you say, there's, when you're under pressure, you're like, well, I just want to survive this pressure period. And I, I want to make changes, but, you know. Um, it, so what, what do you say to that perspective? It, like, you, It's easy to feel paralyzed in, in under the sort of, the prospect of making big complex changes in that way mm. i mean not a lot of them are a big complex changes necessarily and i think that also the the rewards that come from when things work well are so worth it it's, it's hugely motivating like for example um and this is kind of it's a small one really but when we did um all points east last year um on um victoria park um, they uh, there were a number of banners that, we didn't, uh, that were left over afterwards and we were like what are we going to do with these um, and there was a great organisation who took them away and turned them into bags that got the branding on and, um, and wallets and then when that was shared with the teams uh, everyone was like this is so great I feel so happy or when we collected off all of the plastics and turned it into furniture and it gives a real feel good factor <laughs> Um, on the other hand, another example of um, of actually changing a system that takes um, it takes some risks and it takes experimentation and and it can take budget up front. Um, but using, for example, battery technology in order to peak shave or to reduce the amount of fuel that's being burned unnecessarily through generators on site. Um, this year at um, BST Hyde Park, the number of batteries were increased in order to do that, and it saved thousands of litres of fuel that otherwise wouldn't have been saved. And that took investment up front, but because the cost of fuel is increasing, these end up these costs end up balancing. Um, and as and it, as it's becoming more expensive to pollute, actually, because energy is becoming more expensive, materials are becoming more expensive fuel's more expensive and we're going to have to start to pay for our carbon emissions per tonne as well. <laughs> so it ends up making very much economic sense to do these things. And if you can do it in a, an environment where you're actually 
um, you've got the breathing space to experiment and to trial um, and to incrementally implement these things. This is the time to be doing it rather than when an external body force or authority says you have to do this now and you're caught with your pants down essentially yeah and i guess as well it's it's about a sort of wider societal uh, understanding and perhaps recognition of these things like you say the the, the concept in the, let's say the past 40 years of uh planning long term like buying the you know the battery versus buying a diesel renting a diesel generator and buying some diesel is a good example you know a battery costs a lot more up front and you know, but it, but it will pay you back over time, and mm. perhaps perhaps as people are starting to recognise this, perhaps as we're seeing more electric cars on the road and people are becoming more sort of familiar with that, then that it's it's a sort of societal step change and approach, isn't it? That is yeah. perhaps going to bleed into this and encourage these things as well. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because there the festivals, the any kind of event, any tour, the music industry doesn't operate in a vacuum to the rest of um, industries and governments. And, uh, and it's something that we've responded when asked by um, the DCMS, for instance, talking about putting licensing conditions for sustainability onto events, which I think is good, actually, <laughs> so long as it's something that's met by the environment that they're operating in. So what yeah. I mean by that is if a festival needs to have a certain percentage of uh, public transport to the event or a certain percentage of uh, sustainable food, say plant-based or um, regenerative agriculture food, um, or they need to have a certain percentage of renewable energy, then what is happening in that local authority that facilitates that? What is happening with the national government that allows sustainable agriculture to happen or renewable energy to be part of the mix or public transport to be accessible? You can't expect businesses within an environment to create something that doesn't exist in the environment that they operate in, yep. you see what I mean? But that's where I think yeah. there's a great opportunity now as well, because all of these sectors are pushing towards, for instance, decarbonizing um, or protecting biodiversity um, or becoming fairer workplaces. And so as, as the festivals or events and music industry are trying to make what seems like insurmountable steps, everything is moving in that direction. So it's yeah, going to become yeah. kind of a, everyone's shoulder to the wheel. And hopefully at some point yeah. we'll go over. <laughs> over yeah, the yeah, yeah. A, a tipping point is, is coming one way or the other. <laughs> exactly. Let's one. go for the good one. Let's get yeah. the fun hands in the air version. Let's talk about, to wrap things up then, about action. People listening actually want to take action. Um one thing I've heard a number of times people is saying that I really want to do something. I don't feel I'm senior enough at my business to actually enact things and, and, and get things through. I don't have that decision-making power. That's a very common thing. But what can they do? I imagine that that's not just the end point. There's, how can those people feel empowered in a real sense to, to make the change that they're sort of hankering after? Well, there's so there's so much that can be done from things on a personal level in the way that you operate with whatever your role is, uh, with the way that you communicate with the people that you have to interact with, either inside of the organisation or outside, and then to find really positive um, ways to to present changes or ideas as well. So, for example, um, we've been looking at how to deal with. Um, Packaging, like um, pallet wrap and things like that, back of house, starting to look at, okay, well, we've got all of these like 
single-use plastics that occur behind the scenes, how are we going to be able to gather those up and deal with them? Um, if you just say, like, this is an extra cost, this is something that we need, then it's probably not going to get through. Whereas uh, we then did a bit of extra research and found, oh, hang on, if you hire a plastics bailer, then you can actually get money for the, those plastics that you bail. So it ends up becoming something that you can get an income from um, right. rather than just being an expense. Um, so finding things like that where, or for example, with the um, the HVO decision that we made, we were looking at how much is it going to cost us to remove a ton of carbon. So then we look at, okay, well, what's the cost of removing the ton of carbon that we did? Or what's the cost of preventing it here? And then you can find ways to actually save money for the organization. Um, and also to just have just to just keep on raising it and raising your voice because if things are swept under the carpet, then we're not going to make the changes that we need to make. And I think it is right to be able to be bold, but to be positive. Um, but if the, if it's falling on deaf ears and this is what you're spending your life doing, actually, because your time is your life, then starting to vote with who you decide to work for mm. because we've only got one life each. Well, mm. some people disagree with that. Well, yes, let's not go, let's not go too theological here. Let's, uh... We're spending one at a time. Yeah, 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 right, right. Yeah. And so then thinking about how am I spending it, what, what is the application of my energy and my time contributing to? And I know it's not easy for people to just go, oh, sorry, I'm going to leave what I'm doing. Mm, mm. Really, but there does come a point when, you know, every one of our time each individual, our time and what we care about is important. And if we're not able to actually express that or achieve that in the place where we are, then we need to question where we are. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's a couple of interesting points there, which is that even if they don't, people in businesses don't feel like they have decision-making, like the, 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 the book doesn't stop with them, they can still be a sort of in, a persuasive internal force and, and, and help sow the seeds of that change and, and get a weight of people, colleagues behind them that makes it a, a, an obvious or a better decision for people who are more senior. And then the second thing, uh, which is interesting there, which is, and we've talked about this before on the podcast with other people, which is, you know, bring a solution, not a problem. And ideally state the business case for that solution. And it's about changing sort of business practices and saying, well, look, you know, this isn't just about being a goody goody. You can, you can make money doing this. And that's always a very persuasive argument, right? Uh, and then, of course, there is that third point there, which is about you know, intent. And and, and, uh, and I, I imagine that this is going to, as as we see this sort of very, this um, younger, highly motivated generation emerge into the workforce, this is going to have a bigger part to play, isn't it? Where people are saying, like, look, if you don't have a good um, sustainability policy, I'm not going to work for you. And I'm going to go to someone who does. And the same, I guess, with people buying tickets to festivals and, and events, they're going to start saying this as well. Exactly. I mean, people want something that's not just going to pay the bills. It needs to be fulfilling and speaking to what they care about. And especially with the younger generation, this topic, you know, is, the, is what they've been raised in. Anyone who was born in the 80s um, in the UK had this impression that, uh, you know, things are just going to get better like, as time goes on. Whereas anyone that was born like, after 2000 has been given the impression that things are going to get worse. Mm. And it's quite a different like world framing to be to be born into and to perceive and um, and there's going to be significant changes coming up and I, I mean the music industry especially <laughs> who never learn which we know 
my um, my first job in uh, uh, was in a record label as a new media manager, um, and this was doing the switch from all of the vinyl back catalogs and new releases onto uh, Spotify. Napster had just gone down. iTunes had just come into the charts for the first time. And you could buy a ringtone for £3.99 on mm. three two ten, <laughs> You know, and there was um, there was a lot of debate happening then about, oh, this is a new format. The music industry needs to move with it. They need to not be fighting against it. Um, it had happened previously with other formats in the past. And now we're talking about with the advent of AI and all of these other um, new technological playing fields, which is kind of exponentially more significantly. Uh, yes, I mean, the AI uh, and, in, and, and sustainability conversation is one for another time because it's enormous. But I, I read something very interesting recently, and I can't remember who it was, um, saying that the, the way that AI is going to affect, for example, live, uh, the booking industry and uh, sort of essentially helping plan a much more efficient, um, efficiently coordinated tour. And, you know, they were talking about it from the point of maximizing profits for the uh, touring artists. But I guess the flip side of that is you could also, using AI, arrange logistics that um, are much more environmentally, at the same time, environmentally sustainable and point to a direction where there's, there's more profit as well. So that like these technologies, which are being debated at the moment, but could, in the planning sense, we're talking about complex, uh, multi-stakeholder uh, events, actually AI could plug into that and say, right, I'm going to smooth out, I'm going to plan this for you, and then, oh, look, it all works and everything's better. So there's, there's, there's ways that this could work. A hundred percent, and that's a definitely a point that, that I'd make, and um, I'll come back on to that. The point that I was going to make about the formats and the response of the music industry to it, it's similar with the response to climate change. Pretending it's not there, pretending it's going to go away, going like, no, 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 I disagree with with uh, dealing with all of these extra costs or changes that might happen that are going to be significant and complex and difficult. If you just bury your head in the sand, you're going to become obsolete and something else is going to take over. It's a similar situation. I think that's something that the music industry can relate to. When a format changes significantly, you have to change your structure. You have to reinvent yourself. And actually, despite the resistance, and the initial burying the head in the sand, the music industry does manage to do it. So this is what needs to happen now with changes for sustainability and climate change. As far as AI and sustainability, I think it's I think it's a great opportunity because a, a lot of um, what you've just described, the efficiencies and being able to manage complex systems in a way that is optimized, which is going to reduce costs. So you don't have to be on a tour that was kind of mapped out in a relatively sensible way, but then suddenly, oh, actually, we're going to take a private jet with the entire crew over to this place to do that one, um, which, was, which wasn't intended, but we needed to do it for X, Y, Z reasons, then come back over here, sending different trucks with different kit, mm. different places. You know, you can start to eliminate those elements. Um, but also, from a data-gathering perspective, we spend a huge amount of time and resources on trying to gather information to be able to get people's carbon footprints and then to work out who is responsible for what as far as carbon removals are concerned. And this is just going to become a part of accounting, basically. There's going to be carbon accounting as well as financial accounting. And if that can be done um, by AI gathering these big data um, sets, I guess, and being able to divide them in that way, then it will free up human resources for action and then for creativity, which is what we're yeah. doing in the first place. <laughs> well, let, let, let's wrap up then looking forwards. 
in ten years' time, what what are the sort of what what is it what's it going to look like then? A sort of an event industry, a music industry, event industry, where let's say a bunch of all these things, these positive changes, have been implemented and become standardised. You've touched on sort of improved data gathering and, and planning there. What what are they going to look like in terms of the experience of people working in there and and actually attending these? So if if everything goes great, I, I believe which I believe they will. Uh, Clara, yeah, they will. Positive. They will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If everything goes great, and I'm always very hopeful, and I and I, and I see a very bright future. And um, so one of the things is that the systems will be circular. So when you go into an event, be that a festival or a, um, a venue, then anything that you eat or drink is going to have a compost byproduct, which is then going to go towards building, growing the materials that are needed in order to produce that kind of food and drinks again, or indeed to make other materials um, that can be used for things like serveware, for example. Yeah. Water systems, it won't just be a matter of flushing everything away down a drainage system to be get, to deal with a big chemical process elsewhere. There'll be a lot more efficiency and circularity in the water systems. So that because that, you know, we're talking a lot about carbon now, water, it's such a precious, precious thing that we're going to need to find ways to make that as uh, conserved and clean as possible. So that will be a lot more internal as well. Um, and then energy, 100% renewable energy, and a lot more of it will be decentralized, which takes a lot of the financial pressures off uh, venues or off festivals. As far as festival sites, there will be more permanent festival sites where you have mains electricity, you've got mains sewage, the transport networks are connected well, but it's still a beautiful, wild, free environment. Mm, mm. Um, but what's more, any time that an action is taken, whether it's having um, a drink or whatever food you're eating or whatever concert you go to or festival you attend, the application of that energy is going to have more of a regenerative impact on the planet rather than a depletive impact. So instead of us being an extractive civilization and industry, we become a regenerative civilization industry so that we can party very happily whilst making an abundance of biodiversity and enhancing life for everybody. Which sounds like a much better future. And if what your future is, uh, you're painting a picture here of is that, I, I, you know, these changes will happen, but we'll still be able to dance in, in a tent with some lot of smoke and lasers, then I'm, I'm happy with that. That's fine. Um, well, what's the what, point in saving something if you can't pass it? Right. I think that's a, I mean, that's uh, that is is a good uh, point to end on, and perhaps one for your business card. Um, I will put links to um, AGF beneath the podcast, so people can check it out, and um, you know some links to some of the certification and things that you do as well, so people can investigate that. Uh, importantly, then to get a final grip on everything, Claire, if you could only take one piece of music to listen to for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh God, one piece of music for the rest of my life. Oh, it would have to be. Um... T-Rex, left-hand Luke. Really? Okay. That sounds... Okay, great. Why? Why left-hand uh, I just love T-Rex so much, and uh, and that's one of my favourites. I mean, here's like one that gets you wanting to party into the, off into the cosmos and the future. So so what better okay. to be than T-Rex? Fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm fully behind that. I'll put a link to that beneath the podcast as well. Great. Okay. So, uh, Claire O'Neill, thank you very much. Thank you. 
Okay, that's it. And if you were inspired to try and find ways of making your event or your festival or anything that you do uh, uh, more sustainable and green, you can uh, check out the link to A Greener Future below the podcast. Big thanks to Claire for joining us. And if you found that useful, please share this podcast on with someone else who you think will learn something from it. If you want to get in touch, I would love to hear from you as ever. You can email me. It's joe, J-O-E, at musically.com. Uh, we also have a free weekly email called The Knowledge, which rounds up uh, bits and pieces of the best analysis, news, marketing insight, and skills from across Music Ally's very broad range of industry-leading stuff. Uh, so uh, sign up and impress your friends. Uh, links are below the podcast as ever. Thank you for joining us uh, here on Music Ally Focus. I've been Joe Sparrow. You've been you. And until next time, farewell. Farewell.